Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 31, we discuss Univision's coverage of Mexico against USA, the finals of the U20 World Cup and Toulon tournament, and plans for basically how much uh, the Premier League could change the weekend fixture kickoff times in the future. Plus that and much, much more. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, in thunderstormy uh, South Florida, are you? Yes, I am. It's uh, it's continuing to be bad weather and I had to, to, to go and come from Jacksonville the other day for a uh, NPSL game in awful weather. Driving up to uh, Stewart tonight in uh, similar weather for another NPSL game that I'll be calling. So uh, it, it's uh, a reminder as to why, even though the calendar, and you and I have talked about the calendar before, why uh, the calendar might be advantageous for people in the north, um, why the American soccer calendar, which is, of course, the opposite of the European football calendar, uh, is not so good for us in Florida. Yeah, and I guess we'll have to tackle that, too, uh, if and when the, the David Beckham team happens in Miami, uh, maybe 2020 or, or, or sooner, perhaps. But uh, for me, Kartik, I'm, I'm actually, in terms of the weather, uh, I'm on the other side of, of the Atlantic, as you know. Uh, I'm on vacation um, with my family here for a couple of weeks. So I'm looking outside the window right now, Kartik. It's a beautiful, uh, blue, sunny day, um, probably about 70 degrees, uh, nice breeze, and it's, it's picture-perfect weather, which is which I know is very rare for this part of the world. But uh, but looking outside the window, I'm actually outside in the countryside, looking out through the window, and I just see sheep and, and rolling hills, and uh, really glad to be here. Um, and uh, for my kids, it's the first time they've ever been to... Uh, I'm in Shropshire, so about 500 yards from the the Welsh border, and then um, and then next week, actually this weekend, I'll be heading down south to South Wales, uh, to see my family down there, but also um, to go, I'm sure, visit Liberty Stadium to probably pick up some souvenirs from the club shop there. But uh, it's uh, it's a good part of the world. But uh, but football, we got lots of football and and soccer uh, going on um, in this past week, and of course the Confederations Cup coming up. Uh, 
later this weekend. Actually, and on this podcast too, a little bit later, we go in depth in terms of Telemundo and their plans of uh, coverage of the Confederations Cup. So a lot to look forward to there. So Kartik, let's start off by talking about uh, what you've been watching this week. And uh, I'm particularly interested too in the Mexico-USA game. I missed it. My flight was left uh, probably about two hours before kickoff. Um, so I was in flight, and unfortunately, there was no uh, satellite TV on the plane, so I didn't get to catch the game. I did, I did see, see the results and, and read the stories. But uh, what was the uh, the coverage like on Univision? Yeah, before I put the airways, they're still in the Stone Age as far as Wi-Fi and satellite TV. So um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you flew BA, but that's uh, uh, my my uh, uh, biggest complaint about BA. Anyway, Mexico USA was on uh, Univision. Uh, I, I did not watch them into the Fox coverage. Uh, I kind of hit my threshold for uh, Fox and their over promotion with um, well let me correct myself I should not say I did not watch a minute of the Fox coverage I watched the intro on Fox the loud intro and I couldn't uh, bear to watch uh, the even uh, uh, continue watching when they kicked it to the studio team of Rob Stone and Alexi Lawless and I, I'm assuming Eric Ronaldo so I switched to Univision at that very moment and watched the duration of the night on Univision uh, because uh, it was the it, it was the loud intro and the hyperbole in the intro which um is um, become customary of Fox, and I understand it's the way Fox covers all sporting events, not just uh, soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I thought, oh gosh, I can't put up with an uh, hour and a half pregame of this and and two hour match and and whatever post game. Uh, I'm just going to uh, bail out now instead of uh, being frustrated and being one of those people who are frustrated and complains about it. And then uh, everybody says, well, you could have watched the game on Univision, so I watched the game on Univision. Um, I, again, my Spanish is, is, is limited. I, I do understand enough to kind of pick up on, on certain things, um, as was evidenced again last night at a at PSL game I was at where uh, uh, players were speaking in Spanish, and then they, 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 they assumed I didn't know what they were saying, and I did. <laughs> so uh, I, I do know the language well enough to pick up on these things. And um, Miguel Herrera, I think, being on the broadcast adds a lot of color. We know he's a colorful character that um, – Fiery streak is what uh, endeared so many people to him after he became Mexican manager in 2013, following the succession of uh, Chepo and Vukovic, and, and there was another manager in there also that failed. Uh, but it was also that fiery personality that got him got him the sack after the uh, uh, Gold Cup in 2015, and, and an alleged incident at, at Philadelphia Airport. Uh, he, he brings that fire to the broadcast and to the post game and and and, uh, and pregame coverage, which I absolutely love. And he was pretty critical of how Mexico uh, uh, set up in this game and how how they played. I mean, I think Herrera's one of Herrera's observations was that. Um, Bruce Arena, the U.S. manager, was able to push Mexico into wide areas. So even though Mexico on paper had 74% possession or 73% possession, a lot of the uh, possession was harmless. Now, um, keep in mind, Juan Carlos Osorio is um, Herrera's successor. You had the, uh, um, the the interim period of Tuca Ferretti, the Tigres coach, but he was never going to be the permanent manager. So he is critiquing his direct replacement. Let's keep that in mind. But I thought that was a very good point because Osorio is a manager I like. Uh, obviously managed two different teams in Major League Soccer, uh, went to school in the United States, uh, coached for three years at Manchester City under Kevin Keegan. So I, um, you know, he's this kind of very 
cosmopolitan background, speaks very, very good English, obviously, for someone who just came to the U.S. and worked in England. And um, I tend to like him, and I like how meticulous he is in his note-taking and how uh, aggressive he is in kind of his tactical setup. But in this game, he got out-tacted or outwit by... uh, uh, outwitted by Bruce Arena, and Herrera made that clear. I think Chelo Balboa was very, very good in terms of his um, analysis of what the U.S. was trying to do, which is to play to their strengths. Mm-hmm. You have one really technical player in Christian Pulisic, one world-class player, potentially. Obviously, he's getting close to that level at, at Dortmund already. The rest of your team uh, have certain strengths, as Balboa uh, put it. I would view it as weaknesses, technical weaknesses, a technically deficient squad. So Arena set up a team that was uh, that was determined to play on the break, but also to be somewhat open in midfield, which is how they got caught on a counter and gave up a goal. Um, a, a team that was um, that was a set up in a way that um, they were going to get guys when they broke on the counter, they were going to get guys forward and that would lead them to be somewhat open. So um, that um, because, and then also obviously uh, there was the issue of the U S's success on set pieces uh, where they didn't score, but they had a couple free headers uh, for the likes of Omar Gonzalez. And um, that was another critique of Miguel Herrera that, um, the U.S. playing on the break allowed uh, Mexico's defenders who weren't necessarily terribly well organized to clear uh, clear the ball for corners. And every time there was a corner for the U.S., it was dangerous. Um, so that was their observations. Pablo Ramirez was the, uh, the match analyst or uh, co-commentator, and he made some of these same points during the, the broadcast. Um, the production level on Univision is very good. The enthusiasm, obviously, of, of, of the crew is outstanding. They have as much experience covering soccer as anyone in this country, so you would expect a top-rate broadcast. Uh, quite frankly, it's a um, it's quite a contrast after watching Fox um, to, to watch Univision. And uh, I'm, when U.S. games are on ESPN, I will watch them on ESPN. But when they're on Fox, I think I'm just going to continue to watch Univision. Yeah, that's one of those things. I, I think it's uh, you're you're not the. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that do the same thing, Kartik. I, I know that um, from Fox's point of view too. I, I think in many ways. Um, I didn't hear a lot of negatives about this broadcast from Fox, um, from readers, um, and also people posting. Look, look I mean, just before, let me look, before you say that. Let me say that Fox does appeal to a certain segment of fans. It just is not the segment I fall into. Yeah. So maybe they should just continue what they're doing because I think those who like Fox's broadcasting style, um, that set of fans need to be spoken for, and they're mm-hmm. fitting into the Fox mold. Fox mold. Fox speaks to them more than ESPN or NBC. Or Univision or Telemundo does. So, um, you know, we can complain all we want, and other football fans, soccer fans can complain about Fox. We have an alternative. Uh, we can watch that alternative instead of complaining. That's that's where I'm at now. Right, right, yeah, and, and that's and that's the thing too. Even with the Confederations Cup, there's a lot of alternatives with uh, Telemundo and uh, Universo, um, and, and Fox. I mean, Fox has definitely improved from what they've done in the past. I mean, they still use pretty much their same old formula, which is a very formulaic uh, type of broadcast with the obnoxious, over the top uh, beginning. Kind of was usually a voiceover and, and the the kind of the one to two minute intro. Uh, that they've been doing for years, but um, 
Yeah. It, it, uh, but, but the thing I will say about Fox is that in the post-match analysis of this game, when I was having arguments with people about how, how well the U.S. played, well in quotes, and I, I think it was master class by arena tactically, but the U.S., it showed how limited they were and how technically deficient they were, the match, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and in the opinion of several other people I've talked to. The people who give the counter-argument almost universally told me, well, but I was watching Fox in Alexi Lala's set. Yeah. So, right. so again, yeah. they speak to a certain segment of the audience. Yeah, the uh, the biggest t- talking point from Fox's point of view uh, in terms of their broadcast was Jermaine Jones, uh, who was involved, uh, who was on, on set uh, for the first time. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe it was pre-game, uh, halftime and, and post-match. And uh, the feedback uh, from readers on the website and the comments was... Um, that uh, Jermaine's got a long way to go in terms of his English. His English isn't the greatest. Um, that will come with time, I'm sure, as he uh, gets more and more comfortable with that. But um, but this might be the first of, of many appearances we see from Jermaine Jones. The, the other thing, too, is that um, a lot of comments from readers on, on worldsoccertalk.com about uh, that they're not confident that Fox is going to do really well at the World Cup based on the coverage of the U.S.-Mexico game. And, and, and in many ways, it's kind of a it's a, a big game, but it's a, pra- a practice. Uh, I mean, the more hours that the uh, the crew behind the scenes, as well as the talent are putting in, are kind of revving up closer and closer to the World Cup, uh, which is just a year away. And with the Confederations Cup, there's still a lot of concerns that... Um, and it might be the same group too, Kartik, as you, as far as kind of just not uh, enjoying the Fox style. But it is what it is. That, that That's their decision. And like you said too, some people love it and it appeals to a certain crowd. But there's a lot of people that hate it too. There's not many people in between. Um, before we move on, anything else about the U.S.-Mexico game before we uh, move on to finding out some of the other games you watched? Uh, no, I, I just think that the, that the, um, the immediate takeaway of how we, we perceive the performances of the U.S. is important because in the World Cup next year, given the U.S.'s talent deficiency, this is probably the least talented team the U.S. is going to take into a World Cup in uh, recent memory. I mean, certainly more lately less talented than 2002 or 2006. And, prob- you know, 2010, I think the U.S. didn't have a very talented team, but uh, a weak group. Um, the perception of how we view the U.S.'s performances may be skewed by the matches being on Fox based on the feedback I got. Because when the matches were on ESPN, you would have some, some scathing um, uh, coverage of, of the U.S. There are people who've worked at ESPN in the past, uh, at Fox and the past, excuse me, that moved to ESPN, and I wasn't terribly impressed with them at Fox, and then they become quite quite good, quite um, analytical at ESPN. Brian McBride is a very good example. I, I didn't rate him very highly when he was on UA for pregame shows and other Fox coverage. Uh, he goes to ESPN and on the ESPN FC, but there, there are large, large periods where he's not on the show and I miss him because he gets very good analysis. I think that's the difference between the way Dan, Dan Thomas is probing him and maybe the way the host at Fox particularly Rob Stone, kind of engage uh, the analysts and, and the types of questions they ask. And again, Rob Stone, when he was at ESPN, was a little more, uh, was asked different types of questions, had a different style. So uh, again, I think it's probably more the Fox production and what they're telling the host to do than Rob Stone's actual presentation style and the types of questions he would ask. So that that's my observation yeah. on Fox. Uh, let me run through uh, what else I watched this week, uh, Chris. I, I, I did watch the uh, U20 final on Fox. I thought um, Glenn Davis and Tony, 
Tony Viola were quite good um, in calling the game. Uh, the goal was uh, um, from uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin of Everton, uh, formerly of Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I, um, uh, I, I, I actually enjoyed this final and got up to watch this final because mo- most um, tournaments, including World Cups and Euros, there are teams you fall in love with, teams that are really good, that then lose in the quarterfinal or lose in the round of 16. I can think of Bielsa's Chelsea, uh, Chile in the 2010 World Cup and how bummed everyone was when they were eliminated. Uh, Colombia in the 2014 World Cup when uh, Brazil, the host country, essentially played an anti-football to stop them. And, you, you know, in some of those tournaments, there's lessons to watch the finals, right? Um, in this U20 World Cup, Venezuela, to me, was the best team in the tournament, and England was a close second. Yeah. Um, so they were worthy finalists, which gave me the incentive to get up at 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, get ready to watch this match, and um, England won. And I thought Venezuela were the better team on the night, and I thought they were the better team in the tournament, but as I said, England were the second best team in the tournament, so to me, that makes them worthy champions, because in so many of these tournaments, you get the team that was the fifth or sixth best team throughout the course of the tournament, like Portugal in the Euros, um, <laughs> winning tournaments. So mm-hmm. um, I, I enjoyed this, and I thought Fox did a good job with it. Um, Sweden, France, John Champion, now on uh, <laughs> calls the game on Fox on FS1. Uh, John Champion's been on FS1. He's been on um, ESPN, ESPN2, BN, NBC, uh, NBCSN, and the Sci-Fi Network in the last six weeks um, as a commentator. That's how prolific he is. And, of course, uh, uh, highlighted by that championship final on Wembley on, uh, on BN. Uh, this was a, a good game. Uh, Hugo Lloris Howler uh, gave Sweden the victory and puts France, one of the um, favorites, I think, going into the World Cup, in jeopardy of not qualifying. Now, they probably will qualify. Keep in mind the Dutch are in that group also, but Sweden holding their own. Uh, one other quick point. Um, the next France game was against England in a France. The Sweden game was a qualifier, and um, there was a uh, sending off of, of Rafael Varane for um, a um, for a being the last man back and a penalty in the box, uh, and the um, the uh, on Deli Ali, I believe it was uh, from England. Uh, Stevie Nichol was really adamant in, in, in the ESPN FC studio that this was a, a ridiculous call and that the referee has to have some common sense. He's not. Not arguing that he wasn't the last man back because he wasn't. He was. And he understands letter of the law. That's a penalty. And that's a uh, sending off. But one, this was a friendly. And in friendly, to keep 11 be 11. And he said, secondly, Varane was clumsy, right? He was actually trying to get out of the way. Right. <laughs> His process of getting out of the way tripped the English player. Um, but he made no attempt to play the ball. It wasn't malicious. It's a friendly. Just give him a yellow and get on with it. Um, I think it's a very good point because the letter of the law sometimes eliminates co- common sense from uh, from refereeing. So um, I quite enjoyed that Steve Nichol, who is, of course, a former defender, Liverpool legend uh defender uh would, would stick up for another defender but i found it i found it a, a compelling point because you often wonder why referees have to go by the book and, and it's because fifa ref assessors then will, will or uefa in this case will mark them down and, and uh, they won't get the plum assignments he, the referee won't get france england again if he doesn't send off Iran in that situation because it's a uh, it, it is a letter of the law call. The referee assessors need to have a little more leniency, is, would be my message. And, and I agree with Steve Nichol, and I'm glad the point was raised. I thought that that was neat. And that's what uh, you get when you watch ESPN FC. You get a lot of thinking points like that, mm-hmm. which um, you don't necessarily get on other shows. 
absolutely. So, so some of the matches I watched uh, this past week, I saw the uh, Sweden against the uh, U.S. women's national team, um, which was on the Thursday, and that was on um, – Actually, it was on ESPN2 with Ian Dark uh, commentating and Julie Foudy co-commentating. I really thought the chemistry between the two of them was fantastic. Uh, it was entertaining. It was a pleasure to listen to. And uh, I hope really that Fox tries to get uh, Ian Dark uh, for the World Cup uh, next next summer. I know that about a year ago or two years ago, we, we, we ran a story uh, from one of our sources that, um, that Fox was trying to hire Ian Dark. A lot has changed in the last couple of years um, with uh, Fox uh, continuing to kind of focus on more uh, U.S. commentators. Uh, but I hope there's a place there for Ian Dark uh, in the World Cup because he, he d- definitely is such a pleasure to listen to. Um, U.S. Trinidad against Tobago. I watched that game and uh, some good commentary there by John Strong and Stu Holden. Uh, you talked about a few minutes ago, Kartik, about uh, Alexi Lalas. Uh, to me, it seems that Alexi Lalas... He seemed smarter at ESPN. And uh, a good example of this is at Fox now, at at the halftime show. While I enjoy watching uh, uh, Fernando Fiore, and he's entertaining, uh, it's it's kind of a comedy show. And we had uh, Fernando Fiore put on an eagle's hat at halftime. I'm just joking with uh, Lalas and Rob Stone. And all depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for entertainment, you've got it right there. But it diminishes Alas's role in terms of some of his uh, clear-cut insight and analysis, and we're missing that. So if Fox wants that, that's what they're getting. Um, some of the other matches I watched, uh, I watched the Sweden-France game, as you did, Kartik, uh, John Champion, and uh, Kevin Kilbarn on the commentary. Uh, a great first half, a poor second half, and then with the last kick of the game, Sweden wins it from the halfway line after uh, Hugo Lloris's uh, mistake um, when he's caught outside the area. I watched the uh, Cameroon against Morocco, uh, African uh, Cup of Nations 2019 qualifier, and we had uh, Phil Shane doing the pregame and halftime on that one. And um, a name I'm not familiar with, but Robbie Nock uh, as the commentator. Uh, this one was not the easiest match to watch, if anyone watched it. Reason being is that both teams were wearing red and green strips uh, uh, kits. So uh, d- different color style, a uh, different style of shirts, but still both teams had red and green. So that got a little bit confusing sometimes watching that one. Uh, Scotland against England on FS2. Uh, Watch this one. Ian Joy was hosting, so it was good to hear his voice again. And then commentary by Bill Leslie and Andy Hinchcliffe. And uh, this was a game that after uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain scored the goal, uh, I walked away for a few minutes, I think, to get something, came back, and uh, I saw the scoreline. It was 2-2. <laughs> so I missed a flurry of uh, goals, well, two goals from Scotland from three kicks, and then the last-minute goal from um, uh, Harry Kane. A nice finish there. Uh, I watched the England against uh, Ivory Coast uh, final uh, from Toulon, the Toulon tournament, and um, this one was on BN Sports in Espanol, so it was in Spanish. But uh, just as you said before to Kartik with uh, Venezuela against England in the U20 World Cup final, with Venezuela looking the better team, uh, which I agree with, it was the same thing in the Toulon final too, with Ivory Coast looking the better team against England, but England uh, went on to uh, to win that match. So a good weekend for England uh, and a last-minute uh, equaliser from Harry Kane. So uh, 
all everything was good there from England's perspective. Yeah, I, I just worry that with England winning all these youth tournaments, because I mean, the, the U twenty World Cup is actually a much bigger deal in the U.S. than it is in in England, and and uh, American players get overhyped based on their performances in U twenty World Cups. Although the U has a bad habit of being eliminated at the quarterfinal stage a fourth time in the last uh, five or six tournaments that's happened that, that that's where the u.s is bowed out and generally an extra time or penalty kicks uh, much like england in the uh in the actually the regular world cup right in the senior world cup uh, quarterfinals penalty kicks are extra time um i just worry that now with the talone tournament and particularly the u20 world cup we're going to have uh uh an overhyping of some of these young english players uh, we're already hearing cries of the golden jet generation in the wake of the U20 World Cup final. And um, we know what the English media can do to young players. Chris, you and I both lived that for, for a couple decades now. So um, yeah, it's a long way to go. I certainly hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, a long, long way to go. Yeah. There's some positive signs there. So I do want to give a, a word, a shout out to our sponsor, and that is uh, SeatGeek. And buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy. And that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, uh, easiest way to get tickets to live events. And with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite soccer team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, in the past several weeks, I've been using the SeatGeek app on my phone to, to look for tickets for uh, some of the upcoming uh, friendlies, uh, in, in my case, for Swansea City playing against Philadelphia Union, North Carolina FC and Richmond Kickers. And the app's really easy to use and you can find what you're, what you're looking for just in usually a few seconds. It's designed to help make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and then enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, on to TV streaming news. Quite a bit of news coming out this week. Um, I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, so uh, we talked about this on the show. It seems like ad nauseum every week. But NBC Sports, uh, it's now confirmed, did see a lower Premier League audience after scheduling changes in year one of the new deal. Um, NBC Sports had its lowest TV coverage for uh, Premier League coverage this past season in their four seasons that they've had. Uh, the deal uh, as scheduling changes during the first year of a new deal uh, did not work in the network's favor. It was also the first year of a deal uh, internationally for other um, carriers and in the UK for um, for uh, Sky and BT. Uh, games across NBC, NBCSN, USA, and CNBC uh, during this past season averaged 420,000 viewers down from what was a record 514,000 viewers on average last season. So that's, that's a pretty significant drop. It's about a drop um, of 20% or more. Um, and uh, these, this coverage averaged close to 480,000 viewers the previous year before that, um, the 2014, 2015 season. Um, NBC sports average is still far 
above what uh, they inherited from Fox, uh, ESPN, ESPN2, um, Fox Soccer, et cetera, which was 220000 in the 12-13 season. Um, several scheduling changes hurt NBC, and I think this is important to, to note, uh, even though I think just in general maybe we've hit – a point of diminishing returns with some of the soccer coverage in the country. And we've talked about that before. Um, the shift of the Manchester Derby, uh, which jet, which had happened in, in, uh, in more desirable time slots in the past, uh, sometimes even the, uh, the, the uh, four o'clock kickoff on Sunday or um, a, a kickoff that was more akin to getting good ratings uh, um, were, were moved. Um, and this was because of uh, a shift with the UK uh the UK matches, the, the selection of BT and Sky for certain matches in their prime spots. Now for BT, it's the uh, 12.30, uh, 12.30 p.m. Saturday kickoff, which is 7.30 a.m. here. And keep in mind, that's 15 minutes earlier than it used to be. That does make a difference for some people. Uh, it used to be 7.45 a.m. Um, and then also for, for Sky's prime game, which uh, is the 11 o'clock uh, kickoff, 11 a.m. kickoff here, 4 p.m. kickoff there on Sundays. Uh, there was also a shift in games from USA Network to CNBC. That made a big difference. Uh, USA's audience last season for those matches was 50% higher uh, than CNBC's was this season. USA only had three matches this year. Uh, that's um, just also a byproduct of those networks' general ratings. CNBC's ratings are never very high. They do appeal to kind of a higher-end um demographically and, and wealth-wise, per capita income-wise uh, consumer, whereas USA is one of the top-rated cable channels on television in the United States. So uh, I think that that may have been the, uh, a greater factor than the actual quality of league or selection of games in that case. Um, uh, it is uh, uh, worth noting, though, while TV numbers were down, and maybe this is this is part of a trend across sports, across uh, just television in general in the United States, NBC Sports Digital had its best uh, Premier League season uh, among live minutes streamed. Uh, uh, this season also saw eight, eight of the ten most live stream matches uh, for the Premier League on record in the United States. So that that is a positive uh, to go along with all the kind of negative or mixed messages from television. Yeah, I think overall, I think I think NBC Sports are probably uh, pretty pretty satisfied with the numbers. Um, yes, it's lower than what it was last year and 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 the and the year before. But like you said too, I mean, um, viewer habits are, sh- are shifting. A lot more people are watching uh, games, uh, streaming them on whether it's devices or, or laptops, etc. So those numbers are rec- increasing, and those that have been. Um, the best season ever for for those numbers for the NBC and uh, as we've seen on, on television too. It, it's tough because they're dictated in many ways by what happens in the UK and with BT Sports and Sky uh, with their schedules. They they're the ones that pick up the TV times um, where games are shifted, and as a result, um, some of the less favorable games, well, the most favorable games, are in time slots. Uh, which are not as favorable for NBC. So, for example, the 11 o'clock on Sundays, the big match in, uh, on the East Coast in the United States on Sundays, um, that's great, that's wonderful. Uh, but, but um, what, 99% of those games have been on NBCSN, and I think only one of them, well, and that was what, uh, a second half was on the NBC over-the-air network. So they can't get as big a, bigger numbers for games um, like that um, when they're not on the big uh, over-the-air network. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, good, good news overall there. I mean, it's it, to me, it's not doom and gloom. I think it's just... Uh, I, I, I do have to say, I think that 
that um, the Premier League catered to NBC with the selection of matches a little bit in those first three seasons. Because yeah. if you remember back in the days when Fox and ESPN had the contract, that 12.30 yeah, p.m. Eastern time game, 5.30 uh, British Standard Time game that NBC so often in their first three years had a showcase game to put on NBC over the air in the in the United States was a game like Fulham versus Reading, uh, um, or or a game involving one strong team would be Manchester City versus uh, Reading uh, type of thing. Uh, in in in, in uh, when the when the uh, the rights in this country were held by uh, by Fox and ESPN because those games went up on Fox Soccer Channel. So I think that some of the selection of games prior to this season for the first three seasons, NBC's first contract might have been um, to their benefit and, yeah. and might have been um, conscious on the part of the Premier League to increase numbers in the U.S., which certainly worked. Plus, uh, plus the other thing, too, is, is that NBC for this, this this past season, the Premier League, didn't get any uh, bumper programming such as the Olympics. And we know the Olympics, I think the Swansea against Cardiff game was, I think it was on NBC, but they had the Olympics right on before it. And I think that Swansea Cardiff game got, I think 1.2 million or something like that. It was one of the biggest numbers uh, for the entire season, uh, simply because there was a lot of people tuning in to watch the Olympics. And then they started watching uh, the soccer matches there. So yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see, um, Next season too. I mean, we've seen the drop off in quality of play, but hopefully next season maybe there's uh, some other factors that'll be helping uh, NBC with the numbers. Uh, or maybe, maybe not. We shall see. Um, in other news, um, so we mentioned this last week with uh, PlayStation View, which is a streaming service, um, which was hit by the news that um, they were no longer carrying being sports. So last week I interviewed um, one of the executives at uh, Being Sports to find out what happened. And um, the, the full story is at worldsoccertalk.com. But um, the, the, the real kind of uh, base of the story is that um, PlayStation View is not willing to pay a, fa um, a fair market value for Being Sports, um, the same amount of money that uh, other streaming networks such as Fubo and Sling TV and uh, Direct TV, actually not Direct TV now yet, but uh, some of the services are paying. PlayStation View didn't want to pay that. So being sports stood their ground and said, okay, no, we're not willing to cut our subscriber fees, which are pretty low anyway. Um, so it looks like PlayStation View was playing hardball, uh, hoping that um, that being sports would give in. Being sports did not give in. And we've seen the same thing too with PlayStation View and Viacom. Viacom dropped all of their channels off um, uh, PlayStation View because PlayStation View was not willing to pay kind of a fair market value. So the, unfortunately for, for the PS View customers, that's uh, a big loss. I mean, uh, with being sports, I mean, whether it's La Liga, uh, the World Cup qualifiers from the Conmebol, uh, I mean, uh, Serie A, I mean, there's so many rights that, um, that being sports has, uh, that's a big blow. So there's been a lot of people in the last couple of weeks um, that were PS View customers and are switching, switching to Fubo or switching to uh, Sling TV, etc. And there's a lot of options out there. So, uh, so that that's the latest on on the PlayStation View uh, being sports debacle. Um, now back to you, Kartik, and, and and some more news in relation to uh, the Premier League and uh, TV kickoff times, perhaps. 
Yeah, so the Prem uh, might be showing more matches on live UK television from 2019 to 2019-2020 season, which uh, means fewer 3 p.m. kickoffs uh, in the UK, 10 a.m. kickoffs, 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs in the United States. Uh, we, we mention this every couple of weeks on the show, but just a reminder that those games are not shown live in the UK. No game in any competition is shown live at that time at 3 p.m. And the idea is for football fans to go to their local football ground and watch their local club, be it a Premier League club or a, a club in League Two or the conference, right? Uh, so that is why that is the traditional kickoff time for uh, games. But uh, we've already seen so many Premier League games shifted and, and oftentimes only four or five games uh, when there are 10 games every weekend kicking off at that time. Uh, now we might even have fewer. Uh, sometimes we have as many as seven kicking off at that time. So uh, I'm not saying it's four or five every week, but we might have even fewer based on on this report. Um, there have been calls for the Premier League to make every game available live. Uh, Simon Jordan, who was the chairman of Crystal Palace until uh, 2010-ish, uh, told the Telegraph uh, last month, Telegraph uh, Business of Sport Conference, a failure to do so risks the crash in broadcast markets uh, rights in um, – in the market, similar to the 2008 global financial crisis, it is a warning worth heeding because we are seeing, um, I think, television networks have less of an ability to offer the kind of um, money in, in broadcast rights fees that they have to leagues like the Premier League in the past. And if you don't make the product more enticing, uh, you have a problem. Now, here in the United States, every match is available live, uh, thanks to NBC's contract with the Premier League. But that is not the case in the United Kingdom. Uh, but if you make every match available live, what does that do to the BBC's uh, uh, BBC signature match of the day program? What does it do to the BBC's contract for um, highlights and bumper rights from the Premier League? So that's uh, that, that's a whole nother uh element of this. You, you could say, oh, well, let's just make every game live. Uh, but the reason why uh, uh, part of the protection of the BBC and the Match of the Day program and the Match of the Day franchise, which is the biggest franchise in football in the UK, or arguably the biggest of a sky, might make a case, <laughs> uh, Soccer Sunday, etc. cetera, uh, Goals on Sunday is a bigger franchise. But um, is to protect that BBC programming, right? Mm -hmm. And, and for so many uh, Premier League viewers in the UK to watch Match of the Day every Saturday, Match of the Day 2 every Sunday, uh, because they're not seeing those games live. Well, they're seeing the, the Sunday games live, but the Saturday games live, Match of the Day. Um, so there's no easy answer, but this will continue to play out, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I, I don't see um, the Premier League anytime soon um, making every game available um, on television in the UK. Uh, maybe maybe a decade from now, perhaps, maybe that, that might happen. So a little bit, um, from Simon Jordan's perspective, a little bit uh, ambitious uh, uh, goals there. But and, and, and with the Premier League thinking about changing it uh, in the UK, where over the course of a season, over 200 games would be shown live in the UK, that means that if it did happen, they would have to carve out probably a new time slot. And the one that I would be looking at is probably the 6 p.m. UK time on a Sunday, which is 1 p.m. Uh, uh, US time on the, on the Eastern Coast. Um, so that you could have, say, you could have on a typical Sunday, you could have the 8.30 in the morning uh, kickoff, the early kickoff, Eastern time, um, and then have the 11 o'clock kickoff. And then once that one's finished, maybe have a 1 o'clock kickoff, Eastern time. 
the challenge with that is sometimes on, on in many parts of England on Sundays, uh, the trains aren't running all the time. And um, so sometimes it's harder to get around. But but hopefully um, as, as train times improve, um, they, that they can do that where the fans won't grumble too much. They're probably going to grumble anyway, but that, that that's what I'm looking at is possibly that as, as a new time slot. And that could take up because I think roughly right now, I think there's 160 games that are shown live over the course of an English season. Um, and that's it out, out of 380. Um, so going up to 200, that's what I'm thinking is that they'll carve out a new time slot. And uh, and also, too, if there's if there is a 1 p.m., well, 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff, um, that should be pretty favorable. Well, for Asia, I mean, it would be later. Actually, no, 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 that, that, that'd be the middle of the night. Never mind. But anyway, for the U.S., it would be a great, a great time, time slot. But we'll have to wait and see, see what happens there. Now, Kartik, uh, we're going to skip the, the TV ratings section for this week. Uh, we will have all of the numbers at worldsoccertalk.com uh, in our weekly uh, roundup of all the, the, the games, which include the U.S.-Mexico game, those numbers from Univision, Fox, uh, as well as um, uh, the MLS games and, and everything else in, to, in terms of the, uh, the World Cup qualifiers, etc. So a lot, a lot of numbers there to share, and we'll share those on the website. Listener mailbag, we do have uh, a few uh, emails from our listeners. Uh, the first is from Dave Bronk. And he says, uh, hey, fellas, I've enjoyed the last two weeks, um, the last pods from the last two weeks a great deal. You have moved to the, the top of my long run of uh, podcast listening. Hey, that's great. And uh, he says, I completely agree that the three-man booth of um, – of uh, John Strong, Landon Donovan, and Stuart Holden doesn't sound like the greatest combination. I'm just grateful I don't, I don't have to listen to Lalice. It's much much easier to mute the horrible studio show than the games. I love the idea of a north-south MLS structure. If the expansion is handled proper, properly, I think it might be feasible. All the comments you have made regarding Florida's summer weather easily translate to Texas. And uh, he says, I'm currently watching the Scotland against England game and the audio is slightly ahead of the video and it's driving me nuts. Uh, not sure if that's a world feed issue or Fox. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to the next pod. Yeah, the Scotland England game, um, the audio was ahead by about maybe about one or two seconds. So we were hearing what happened in the game before we actually saw the video. And, that, and that's something that uh, we've seen and not just Fox, but other broadcasters too. But when it does happen, that's a big, big uh, pet peeve uh, of mine, and I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners out there too. Um, the next uh, email, Kartik, is from Scott from uh, McAllen, Texas, and he says, "I agree with your points about what MLS can learn from Liga MX. I will admit that I am one of the one of those English-speaking Liga MX fans. If it's not the Dynamo or uh, RGV FC, I'm watching Liga MX." I heard Christopher mention how a split season could conflict with the NFL. Yes, that's true. But remember, in the Liga MX seasons, the Clausura is more of a minor season. There is more emphasis in pageantry when it comes to the Apertura, the fall season. Would It, uh, it would be better to reverse that for the Major League Soccer, perhaps. Uh, he says the grand champion um, being in the spring season, question mark. And uh, he says NBA and NHL championships would be easier to compete with than they have a Clausura-like playoff uh, for the fall season. 
not taking anything away from my Chivas Clausura when they haven't won much in a while. Also, Christopher, it's easy to enjoy a Liga MX soccer night. You can sleep in, get everything, everything done for the day. And at 8 p.m. your time, you can sit back, um, sip on a cold beer and enjoy some evening soccer, flip around uh, the early late games. Uh, we're usually outside watching the games in our backyard. And Kartik, just one more comment too uh, from Scott. He sent another email and he says, uh, Kartik asks why some viewers watch games on Univision Deporters Network when we have Univision over the air. He says, for my house, when USA or Mexico has a big game, Univision Deporters Network usually has a lot of pre-game coverage uh, via Contacto Deportivo and other shows. And we are already tuned in to Univision Deporters Network. Any any comments or feedback there, Kartik, on any of this? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that information, Scott. That makes a lot of sense as far as why uh, people keep watching on Univision Deportes. Um, yeah, uh, and I, I'll admit that when I flipped off Fox the other day, uh, Univision Deportes had uh, some extensive pregame coverage, so I was watching there, and then um, I ended up watching the match itself on my local Univision affiliate, Channel 23. So, I... I, I uh, picked up on the more extensive pregame coverage on, on Deportes uh, and postgame coverage as well versus regular Univision. Now, the postgame coverage, especially on Univision Deportes, uh, which I didn't end up watching the whole thing, uh, it w- was sort of late on, on Sunday night, uh, was more extensive than on over the year Univision. Um, some other great points. Dave made a great point about uh, Texas, the weather being like that. That's also been the case with DC United for years, where um, they've had a lot of uh, weather delays, not as many. In last the last few years, but tons of weather delays in the past uh, because of thunderstorms, and uh, also the Carolina Railhawks, now North Carolina FC in um, NASL, uh, had as many weather delays as the Florida teams and the Texas teams. So it's it's a general southeastern uh, issue uh, everywhere from Washington D.C. South. You don't get thunderstorms like uh, like this in the Northeast, like you get in the Southeast, uh, and. And uh, Atlanta is playing indoors. Uh, it's going to play indoors in MLS, but the Atlanta team in, in NASL that we had when I worked at NASL, the Silverbacks, uh, also had numerous weather delays. Because uh, if you've flown through it at Hartsfield Airport in the middle of the summer, you know how many weather delays there are yeah. in Atlanta. So thank you for that point. Um, and um, Scott's point about the the, the, the Apertura and Clausura is well taken. Um, obviously, they're just theories and ideas we have, but uh, – uh, it's something that MLS should consider and think about. Yeah, yeah, and that's something too that we're looking at, especially on this show too, is focus on a lot of solutions. So not just complaining about uh, MLS's calendar, but off- offering solutions in terms of also how it, it can improve uh, TV ratings. Uh, same same thing with television coverage too. Uh, when when possible, just trying to provide some some uh, some input and some insight in terms in terms of uh, how things can be improved. And and that's, at the end of the day, that's all what it's all about. Um, with World Soccer Talk, the podcast and the website is we're focusing on uh, television coverage and everything streaming coverage, but also just trying to share the information and hopefully raise the bar a little bit, hopefully uh, get the the networks and the streaming companies uh, improving the service, which at the end of the day improves the, the viewing experience for we, uh, for us, we soccer fans, and uh, hopefully down the road will help uh, encourage more uh, sports fans to, to get, you know, get into soccer and uh, enjoy the 
fantastic coverage that we do have from around the world uh, through the Foxes and the ESPNs and NBCs and BN Sports of the world, etc. So if you do have any feedback, questions, comments, uh, anything, we'll be more than happy to read it out on air. You can uh, email us at web at worldsoccertalk.com. And then you can hit us up on Twitter at WSoccerTalk or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. All right, Kartik, our featured topic of the week, and that is talking about Telemundo's uh, plans for the coverage of the Confederations Cup. Now, in previous years, the Confederations Cup has been looked at as kind of one of those just tournaments that FIFA organizes just to do a dry run, just to make sure that the World Cup is going to be okay and test the infrastructure and the transportation and all those things. But... Um, this year, with the teams competing in the Confederations Cup, you have a lot of teams that are a lot of players on these teams fighting for positions, fighting to prove themselves. So you got players from Mexico, uh, Germany, Portugal, Australia, New Zealand, Cameroon, uh, etc. Really fighting, fighting it out uh, for this. And we were. Uh, Fortunate enough to be able to go down uh, recently down to Telemundo Studios in Hialeah, um, in um, out of Miami, to get their perspective and get, find out more details about what are they going to be doing for this Confederation Cup, uh, for Confederations Cup coverage, and uh, how in some ways might be, it might be different than what we'll see on Fox. And uh, we know from previous experience that there's a lot of uh, soccer fans that will tune in to Telemundo, uh, even if they don't speak Spanish or don't understand Spanish, just to watch the coverage uh, there because of the you know, the level of, of excitement, the, the passion, the energy um, is oftentimes much greater than it is on the English language side, whether it's ESPN in previous World Cups uh, or perhaps it might be Fox this summer. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But uh, I wanted to get your perspective, Kartik, first on some of the things some of the things you, you heard uh, that you were encouraged by in terms of uh, Telemundo's plans for, for the Confederations Cup. Yeah, so um, they're going to first off have announcers uh, on site at every game, uh, which I think is very, very different than what we talked about last week with uh, with Fox, right? Last week we talked about Fox's coverage being uh, largely studio-driven and, and a lot of people being left behind and even a guy like Ian Joy being excluded completely. Uh, that's not the case with uh, with Telemundo and um, this Confederations Cup coverage. They're sending all of their talent, with, with a few exceptions. They're going to be on-site. They're going to follow, follow teams. They're going to they're going to broadcast this like it's a World Cup. So to me, that was a big takeaway. I think another takeaway is the integration, uh, and this is a big bugaboo for me about Fox, uh, the integration of Confederations Cup and soccer with the morning program on um, on um, Telemundo, the news pro- programs, the news divisions, the, the news gathering uh ability, which you have to have around the large international tournament. We saw that last year with uh, the way that, uh, ESPN was able to cover, cover the Euros from France, right? With uh, 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 with people who are not only uh, folks who call soccer matches or cover soccer, but are also journalists and have news gathering abilities and the uh, resources of ABC News at their disposal in Paris uh, as uh, things kind of kicked off there. So that uh, that's important. Fox doesn't do that around their soccer coverage, and Fox doesn't integrate soccer coverage into all the other things they do. Now, maybe it has to do with demographics and political leanings and all kinds of things we don't want to get into, but a Fox News Channel, which, believe it or not, despite my political leanings, I do watch from 
time to time. Um, if soccer ever comes up in any Fox News Channel broadcast, it's it's contempt. It's it's you know um, who cares about this? Is yeah, it's it's a foreign thing. They they don't make the effort to integrate um, their properties. Now maybe that changes with the World Cup in 2018. It's the biggest thing they've done, but Fox doesn't do that. So tell them. Mundo is doing that, which I find very, very exciting. Um, they're going to have uh, the bumper programs, uh, one of which will be the, the Confederations Cup uh, today, uh, which will be done out of Miami, but they'll have so many people on site for reports, etc. Um, I think that that's, uh, that's really important. And then also, uh, even though their audience is, is probably primarily interested in Mexico and they're going to be Mexican uh, American, Mexican heavy in, in, in a lot of what they do. They are covering the other teams in the tournament very seriously. And uh, the immense knowledge. Now you have a guy like Andres Contour leading your coverage. Of course, he knows football in and out, lives it, breathes it. He's not going to shortchange Russia just because he's not as familiar with them, right? He's going to, he's going to study up. He's going to learn about the Russian side. Uh, but, what we found with Fox's coverage last year of the Copa America is if it didn't involve the United States or Mexico, they really weren't terribly interested. They weren't interested in exploring uh, the stories and themes uh, behind other teams. They weren't in- interested in doing the story building about the players or coaches or the context around the tournament. Telemundo is, is, is ready to do that for the Confederations Cup. Uh, Chris, I don't want to bag on Fox too much because maybe they're going to up their game uh, when it comes to the World Cup next year. But for me, going to Telemundo and talking to them, it, it just reminded me about um, how much coverage and what, what, what a gap I think there is between what Fox is, is providing and what Spanish language providers are providing and what ESPN has provided in the past. Um, and that's a reason why a lot of people you talked about uh, at the outset, English language outset, uh, English language dominant people uh, tend to want to watch some of these matches in Spanish, particularly when the English language feed is on Fox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Telemundo has uh, plans for uh, 200 hours of coverage, actually more than 200 hours of coverage of this tournament, and uh, which I believe far exceeds what Fox is planning on doing. So uh, from the outset, there's going to be more uh, quantity, and uh, we'll have to wait and see about the quality of coverage. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be good, though. But we did ask, I mean, going back to what you said earlier on, Kartik, about uh, Andres Cantor, uh, Carlos Hermosillo, uh, Manuel Sol, um, and others. When we asked the question, how much of a difference does it make to have you in the stadium commentating the games, their faces lighted, light, uh, lit up. They were like, oh, Man- Manuel Sol in particular, he just had this look. And was like, okay, it's not, it's like we, don't, we don't even have to have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The former Chivas player was just saying it. I mean, in terms of uh, what a difference, and you could see just like they, they started to smile. They were like, "This makes our job not 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 easier, but it it, it enhances our our performance too. It, it raises the level. We can see and feel the passion. We can see what's going on off the camera. There's so much more that having television coverage, having commentators in the commentary booth, and we've seen this from the NBC broadcast with Ola White and I mean Lee Dixon. What a difference that makes when you have somebody at the stadium. You can see the, the smiles and passion on their face, faces. And that's something we're not getting with the Fox crew. We're getting the John Strong and Stu Holden uh, commentating the occasional game, probably mostly, mostly the Mexico games, I would think, and probably the Germany games. But um, this is huge. And this is a huge um, step by Telemundo. It's a huge statement of intent. And I'm surprised, really, Kartik, that uh, Fox didn't decide to do it for this one, too. I mean, why not? I mean, yes, it costs money, but you're going all in on uh, the World Cup coverage. 
go all in on Confederations Cup, get these people used to these different cities and the situations, rather than having them go go cold uh, into the the World Cup next year that for these guys that haven't maybe been to uh, these d- deeper parts of Russia. And then Kartik, I'm trying to yeah. think. Yeah, I'm trying to think too. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Yeah, and, and I mean, the other thing I picked up on from uh, Andres Cantor and others uh, is um, just their global perspective on the game. So we were talking to Andres Cantor, I think off the record, and he was just saying that. Um, Actually, no, it was on the record, but he was talking about uh, how, I mean, for him, this is his, his dream job. I mean, his, his soccer is in his blood. Uh, he's watching six or seven games a week, and most of those games have no um, relevance to, to watch what he's commentating on or what, what he's uh, focusing on. It's just he's watching games for the pure enjoyment of, of it, as are we, I mean, you and me, Kartik, but and, and I'm sure as are the listeners. We're watching soccer because we love soccer. It's in our blood. And that's something I, I got... I got from uh, Telemundo that feeling from these guys that they were talking about uh, different teams from around the world or different uh, players that are going to be playing in the Confederations Cup that play for uh, different club teams from around the world. And that's something I don't get when I watch Fox. Um, the, The perfect example is, I think, earlier this season in the UEFA Champions League actually would have been, what, quarterfinals when Man City played Monaco? Um, in the, uh, round of 16 round of, six, round of 16 okay and it was the Monaco game I think the first leg and at, I think it was a half time Rob Stone came out and was like wow Monaco uh, I had no idea he seemed seemed like dumbstruck by the fact that Monaco was such a great team yeah, yeah, yet uh, if he had watched uh, a rival network the previous night ESPN FC he would have gotten in-depth analysis from Stevie Nichol Craig Burley and Shaka Hislop about Monaco they, they don't have rights to any Monaco games in any Monaco in any competition competitions, right, ESPN, but Fox has had them in the Champions League the whole time, right, for several seasons now, but did this whole tournament, and, and um, the Fox crew seemed uh, kind of dumbfounded, they yeah. were struck by how good Monaco was. Yeah, and the feeling I get from the Telemundo crew, I mean, talking to them uh, both on and off the record, is that these guys know football, these guys know soccer, uh, and are as passionate about it as we are, uh, the hardcore soccer fans. And with the Fox crew, I don't get that feeling sometimes. I mean, some of them, yes, definitely. You can tell that they're well-versed and research a lot. And uh, But for the most part, many of them seem to be kind of mailing it in and just watching the, the odd occasional game only of relevance to, to what they're, they're focused on. But uh, but that I think I'm sure some of that will come through in terms of the Confederations Cup uh, analysis and, and, and coverage and discussion uh, on set in Spanish language, but still um, in terms of the level of knowledge that these guys have globally speaking and, and what how this relates to the Confederations Cup and how, say, specific players are maybe, maybe playing better for their national team than they are from the, the club team and talking about that from, a, from experience, from having watched, I mean, these players play week in, week out in, in the Dutch League or, or the Champions League or Europa League or whichever league it is uh, from around the world. But yeah, Kartik, so yeah, overall, I was really impressed by Telemundo. Um, they're going all in on this. And uh, of course, Telemundo yep. Deportes is, uh, and, and some of the games will be on Universo, but these guys are part of the, the Comcast family, which also includes NBC Sports. So it looks like the level of commitment, I mean, NBC Sports has raised the bar on soccer coverage in the US. And the feeling I got is that Telemundo is also trying to raise the bar on their side. And they've seen all the, the gains and uh, advantages and, and um, 
I mean, really critical praise that NBC Sports has done. And, and, and from my perspective, it looks like Telemundo is trying to do the same thing too from the Spanish language side, which is uh, which is fantastic to see. Any other thoughts, Kartik, uh, on uh, on uh, any uh, any other lasting memories? I, I know that you've written a story for WorldSoccerTalk.com that goes into more detail, talks about the number of people that they're sending the crew to Russia, uh, as well as having stationed in, in Miami. But uh, any any other final thoughts on uh, Telemundo and their no? I think we've I think we've pretty much covered it between this segment and, and the articles and it, it, it's uh it's impressive now we we, we wait, wait what telemundo does for the world cup because again it, it's providing an alternative for a lot of uh millennials and e- english uh language speakers and and uh, bilingual speakers to fox the annoyance among core soccer fans with fox is is pretty great although uh look i think fox has gotten better in a lot of the things they've done there's just yep. still the overall kind of tenor of the network is loud uh very partisan very um very parochial and and, and um not deep dive analysis type thing so and i think that, that that's the way they cover everything it's not just soccer but um it's not the style that core football fans core soccer fans are necessarily accustomed to or yeah. or appreciate so um well this is a this is an evolving story it doesn't end uh, this summer at the confederations cup we're gonna continue to be talking about this for a long time because they are both the fifa rights holders through 2026 one more final thought on this context this relates more back to fox is that if the u.s had qualified for the uh, confederations cup this summer i would guarantee that that fox would probably be sending uh, all, all of their crews over to uh, to commentate uh, the games no matter what games they were. Uh, But because the U.S. is not involved, it puts Fox in a really precarious position because they've they've been so much U.S. rah, rah, rah in in the past decade, really, but in the last five years especially so, that when U.S. is not in this competition, Mexico is their fail-safe. But if you're going to watch Mexico... You know, I mean, you're going to watch Telemundo, so it'll be interesting to see how Fox does from the TV ratings perspective. Because I mean, they're trying to embrace Mexico as the as the second uh, team in the U.S., but as we've seen from the numbers from the TV ratings for games uh, with Mexico on FS1, you mean Mexico against uh, uh, Croatia, or Mexico against uh, Ireland, those numbers haven't been strong at all because most people are going to go watch it on Univision or watch it on whichever uh, Spanish language broadcast uh, is actually showing those matches. But uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, Telemundo is well positioned, especially with having Mexico play into, um, it'll be interesting to see what their TV numbers will be like. So Kartik, where can uh, listeners uh, find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. My name, Kartik Krishnayer on Facebook and various places uh, across the web writing including worldsoccertalk.com all right guys well thanks for listening you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday or friday every episode is released on soundcloud youtube stitcher itunes audio boom and worldsoccertalk.com if you would like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review and kartik what should they do enjoy your football Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.